Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1409, entitled, It's Not Easy Being Mean, Green and On The Screen. (laughs) <laughs> Our podcast title is She Pod Smash. <laughs> Thank you very much, folks out there in the orbit of Zero G yes. and also Triple R for your participation in the ongoing fun that is Radiothon. I wanted to shout out a couple of additional subscribers that we got last week that came in pretty much on the dot of 2pm, so we didn't get a chance to speak and allocate a group for them. So I just wanted to cover them quickly now. We have Dilek, who renewed to Zero G, uh, and they mentioned in their comment that they subscribed first in the late 80s, which is pretty amazing. And so I think uh, because of the 80s connection, we will give you a membership to the Losers Club from Stephen King's It, one of my favorite 80s properties and then we also had Vivian Tate who renewed her subscription and gave a very generous donation of $280 which aligned with the ages of her pets which I thought was amazing um and uh Vivian mentioned that she was a sci-fi nerd so I think we're gonna just get you along with the Rebel Alliance so thank you very much to those two subscribers and sorry we couldn't shout you out last week so we thought we would just add that in today and remember you still have time to subscribe and indeed to make good upon your promises. I am Rob Jan and Megan McHugh and today we are going to be talking about oh my god more Disney Plus stuff. (laughs) She-Hulk. Yes we must we have to take a look we've been anticipating this one for a while. Mm, Shulky as she's often known in shorthand created by writer Stan Lee an mm-hmm. artist, John Buscema, back in 1980. Now, the funny thing about She-Hulk originally, the ironic thing, given her alter ego's profession, mm-hmm. is that it was all about legal issues. Mm. So this is why it was created, because they were a bit worried that um, it would be sort of spun off from the old Incredible Hulk series back in 1977 to 1982, you know, the one with uh, Bill Bixby Mm -hmm. and Lou Ferrigano playing the Incredible Hulk and Bruce Banner, or David Banner, I should say, respectively. Mm -hmm. They changed it up for that. And they were worried that they might just sort of create their own female version of the Hulk because Mm -hmm. sort of the rights were with the television show. Mm Mm-hmm. Back then, this is when Marvel had sold off a lot of rights to characters. For money, yes, because they were doing it rough, yep. Yeah, well, not exactly doing it rough now. (laughs) (laughs) No, Ben. (laughs) So, you know, She-Hulk has been around since then. There have been comic books 
all uh-huh. sorts of comic books. She's become a member of A Force, The Defenders, The Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. The Future mm-hmm. Foundation, Hulk Busters, which is very funny when you think about it, Heroes for Hire, The Initiative, The Mighty Avengers, Shield, and even The Seven Brides of Set. Oh. <laughs> now, as a television or movie character, she has been more known in the animated sense uh-huh. since then. By 1982, she was voiced by Victoria Carroll in the Incredible Hulk uh, animated series. Mm-hmm. And she was um, intended to appear in the made-for-television film The Death of the Incredible Hulk. Um, but um, she didn't get into the final cut. Oh. And they sort of had an idea to do a spin-off series Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of didn't go anywhere. She had like appearances in uh, Fantastic Four episodes of animated shows, and in 1996 there was another Incredible Hulk one. You see, whenever the the Hulk turned up, it wouldn't be too long before She-Hulk came along. And we've discussed this kind of thing before about um, uh, you know you've got a superhero, and then you automatically have to have a female version of. Mm. Or you have to create a whole family, you know, like a, a Spider-Verse or, sure. or yeah. Club Gamma for the different Hulks, you know, so you get Red Hulks and, uh, mm. and Brawn, which is another one. And, you know, there's a, they all sort of spawn out from it, to coin a phrase from the Spider-Verse. And, you know, so there have been a lot of those sort of animated type things. And occasionally they go towards uh let's have a movie or a television live action show and mm-hmm. you know like they wave um bridget nielsen over the top of a, a potential movie project in the 1990s and then they just go back to the animated stuff so you had katie sackoff doing the voice of the superhero squad show she hulk and eliza dushku in hulk oh. and the agents of smash so, you know, these sorts of things, they, they whirl and whirl around. And, of course, now mm. we've got, we're in the 21st century, the second decade of it, the Marvel television series are all over the place. And remember, oh, God, back in t- uh, 2008 when, you know, Iron Man came out and we were just beginning to start lamenting the fact that there weren't very, very many Marvel Cinematic Universe mm. female heroes. Yeah, I mean, we waited years and years for Natasha to even get a look in on having something that was dedicated to her. She was just a side player for, I mean, an incredible character, and she built that character over the years, but she was always on the sidelines in her early appearances. Wonder why they kept relegating She-Hulk to the comics, Um, like anime and animation. I I feel like it's too simple to say it's because they didn't want to do anything live action with a female lead, but that's probably it, right? I think part of it is special effects as well. But they can do that with, I suppose, if they're just using a larger male for the Hulk, like a different actor, and perhaps they felt they couldn't do the equivalent for a woman. Even today there are issues with what sort of body are you going to give She-Hulk? In Mm. the comic books at the moment she's massive, like she's Mm. got muscles upon muscles. She looks like the Hulk basically. Yeah but with long flowing hair, you know. (laughs) So for the actual television series that we're discussing today, they went with a peak form athlete. Yeah. For the CGI look. Tall, very tall, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and a little bit bulked out. So that's where they are for this one. And you know what? Why not? I'm Mm. not I'm certainly not going to 
comment upon She-Hulk's body. <laughs> it's, just not, it's, it's not a safe thing to do and a gentleman won't do it. So I'm not going to do that. We will instead talk about the show created by Jessica Gow. Uh, She-Hulk, attorney at law, in fact. So we'd been waiting a little bit for this because there was a comic series that came out more recently of the She-Hulk kind of rebooted and um, it was very cool and it had that very kind of vaporwave, neon sensibility. And so I was hoping the show would have something similar and the early trailers teased that it would have something similar. So as you mentioned, we've got Jessica Gao leading this one. She also writes for the show and we have Kat Koiro, who leads up the team of directors who work on the different episodes. It is, of course, like all of them, streaming on Disney Plus and is the eighth uh, television series to come out in this kind of new suite of MCU television that's being um, that's being released bit by bit. So more recently, we had things like Ms. Marvel, Moon Knight, and so on carrying forward. And then now we've got She-Hulk smashing in through the roof and entering the scene. So I think one of the things that was pretty exciting when we got some of the early buzz was that we heard that Tatiana Maslany would be playing the uh, She-Hulk character, also known as Jennifer Walters. So we've seen her before, of course, in Orphan Black. Now, confession time, I've actually not watched Orphan Black, you know, even though I've heard nothing but good things. But I know, Rob, you were pretty keen because you really liked her performance in that show. Is that right? Oh, yes, indeed. We played a bit of the uh, theme from that show in the top credits today for Zero G to just get you in the mood. And, you know, that was such a great show about cloning, probably the ultimate show about cloning that I've ever seen. And I've seen a few. (laughs) And she, of course, was such a a spot-on part of it. I don't Mm. believe that they had anyone else in mind at all when they started casting this role. Mm. They just went straight to her. Yeah, yeah. I have also seen her, and this is the very first time I saw her, in the 2004 film Ginger Snaps 2, Unleashed. Oh, she was in that. Interesting. Okay. It is, in fact, the best werewolf trilogy, Mm. at least I think there are three, um, that I've ever seen. Yeah, wow. Instantly in the top of the genre for that. Um, And she played a character called Ghost in that. She was also in the 2002 Canadian television series 2030 CE, which Mm -hmm. is a dystopic future story where um, nobody lives past the age of 30. And, you know, the orphan black won her primetime Emmy Award in 2016. Mm. They should have given one to each of the clones, which would have been fun. And, you know, what an acting, an an actor's feast that that was. You'd be loving getting, sinking your teeth (laughs) into a juicy role like that, wouldn't you? Because I think, yeah, being able to play so many different characters, uh, and that was really her breakout, I think. So she that kind of got her name on the map a bit. So very pleased to hear she was going to head up this show. And, of course, because we are talking a female-led show, uh, just to go back to Jessica Gow, our um, showrunner for this one. So love to see that they've got a female showrunner and a female also leading up the directing team. I think that's just becoming you know, standard these days as it should, that we have these stories told from the right kinds of perspectives. So Jessica Gow's worked on quite a bit of animation before, actually. So she's worked on uh, Rick and Morty, and she's also done some writing. So she's done writing for Robot Chicken, Silicon Valley, um, and she also worked on Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness. So for her, I feel like this is kind of her big breakout into 
running and producing a show. It seems like most of her experience is in writing prior to this. Um, and this is kind of one of her first shows executive producing, clearly moving more from writing into a producing and show running role. Uh, and then the show is, of course, on Disney Plus, as I mentioned before, and it's dropping a week at a time. So we've got a couple out now that you can feast on. Uh, and unlike a couple of other shows which dropped uh, multiple episodes to get you going, the first week Rob and I were lamenting because only one had come out. <laughs> and um, it was pretty interesting because I think the general premise of this one, as you mentioned, she's a lawyer and a big part of Jennifer Walters's character is her job. And so they've really approached this show and I was watching a little featurette as a legal procedural or as she puts it herself, lawyer show. So that's really what we're pitching for here. But it's more than just a lawyer show, of course, because we've got a cast of uh, villains and other kinds of supernatural uh, things that need to be taken care of that seem to like weave themselves into the plot. Um, So that will be a nine episode season as well. So you'll be getting those over the course of nine weeks and we'll see where things go. But we thought we'd just talk about the first episode today and our first thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it really kicks off centering around the origin story and doesn't mess around and and we don't get much of the legal stuff yet. So what what was your kind of... um, expectation going in, I guess, Robin, then thoughts on how the first episode uh, set things up. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting for me, my experience with legal law shows, mm. and, you know, police shows are psychs. I've watched quite a few of those and yeah. detective yeah. shows, but legal procedural shows, mm. uh, you know, I go back to like the days of Perry Mason. Yeah, yeah. A know, solid and, one uh, though. <laughs> and, and Ironsides. Okay, I know. don't know that one. <laughs> Um, you know, those sorts of ones going going way back. I think that's mm. uh, and basically after that a big massive gap mm, up until I see. up until Night Court, the humorous yeah the humorous <laughs> show and um, and then of course Boston Legal. I never yes. watched the show that that spun off. So you know all of your Ali McBeals and that sort of thing blank slate for me. Yeah. Great. So this is where I come in, in that I was very much grew up watching the Ali McBeal, The Practice, back to back on network TV. And I was I was pretty young at that time, but I remember loving those shows. And this is that's definitely the tone, I think, from what I understand this show is trying to strike, like an Ali McBeal-esque uh, lawyer show with comedy. And so those shows I'm definitely um, well-versed on. Also, I'm a big legal procedural fan in terms of things like Suits and The Good Wife and The Good Fight. So I was, I'm like, if we're going down the legal route for this series, I'm very, very, very much on board if it's especially going to revive the nostalgic 90s era legal show, which where it was as much about the relationships and the goings-on than like whatever the case of the week was, which I think is always the perfect blend of a procedural, right? Yeah, yeah. Does that mean that the door is open to have Robert Downey Jr.'s Ali McBeal character appear? Because I know about that. Oh, was it? I thought it was Harry Connick Jr. Or maybe they were both in it. Who knows? I'm pretty sure they were both in it. Yeah, Um, I bet you they were. Well, wouldn't that be amazing but very confusing for everyone? (laughs) Let's have a a track the – Main title theme, and uh-huh. this is composed by Amy Doherty, also did uh, Here and Now in 2018, Spirit Untamed, and Battle at Big Rock. But she's also 
orchestrated and conducted scores for a lot of different television shows like uh, Star Trek Discovery, Picard, Fargo, The Umbrella Academy and Altered Carbon. This is Neil Gaiman. It's well past 2000 AD, but Tharg still listens to Zero G. I have a feeling that's a bit of an extended main title theme. Mm. Very Avengers-y. I feel like it really captured like the energy of, of a go-for-it kind of fight scene. Mm. But also, I feel like that also blended in uh, 1990s legal procedural shows. True, very true. Because mm-hmm. although I'm not familiar with the, many of the shows themselves, I do know their themes for some reason. <laughs> donk, donk. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, iconic. Law and Order is a classic. <laughs> Never seen an episode of it, but I know the sting. Wow, well, there actually, you go. that's how much it's like permeated the cultural consciousness. Actually, Marvel used it in uh, one of the trailers for She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Oh, that's right, they did too. Because, see, they know what they're doing because yeah. they're definitely trying to tap into that. And that's what we're talking about here on Zero G today, She-Hulk. <laughs> Attorney at Law. So I think also the inclusion of that subtitle implies that it's, it is going to be a legal show. And from what I can tell, legal comedy is definitely the arena. A lot of the writers have comedy backgrounds. And I think it's going to be a bit more sitcom-y even than some of the other shows which is something we've talked before about that we like, or I definitely like, that each show has its own tone and sits kind of within its own genre, and so it's very, very diverse, which also means, you know, there'll be probably fans and detractors of this entry into the series, um, but f- as a lover of legal comedy, I'm here for it. Well, Tatiana Maslani has all mm-hmm. of the chops for this. We've discussed that. She mm-hmm. is playing... Jennifer Walters, who is the cousin of Bruce Banner. Yes. And the first episode, which the first and the second episode actually kind of function together as a pilot, mm-hmm. we get the the Hulk side of the content in the first one, the She-Hulk side and the Hulk side. Yeah. Uh, and the second one drills down more into the legal practice side. So the first episode, basically Jen, as she's known by all of the people who know and love her from the comic book days, she's yes. out and about on a road trip with Cousin Bruce. Mm. Now, this is all after the events of Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, they're just having catching up a bit. There is an accident yep. in the car. And basically, Jen ends up getting a dose of Bruce's blood spilt upon her. Yeah. And as we all know from the Ed Norton Hulk film, mm. a bit of that. Which is canon, which unfortunately. Is canon, which is canon. I actually kind of like parts of that, mm. um, especially the parts that weren't set in the USA. I thought that opening section in South America was great. Okay. I have zero memory of that movie. <laughs> it did not stick. <laughs> you've, been, you've been redacted. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway, um, so they're, they're catching up on this road trip and, Discussing the question that is, of course, the burning issue in the MCU, the big trivia question is, is Captain America still a virgin? (laughs) Jen has everything for that. She's got like a whiteboard and notes and probably a PowerPoint presentation. She thought about it. She's watched the History Channel. (laughs) God's sake. Chris Evans actually is is quite chuffed by all this. He's just, he tweeted out a a response to it with, with, you know, the crying face, I'm laughing so much, I'm crying. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and then the zipped mouth emoji. 
which either means he's a gimp or else he's just not saying anything. Or both. I don't know. Anyway, uh, to get back to the uh, the main thing, we just broke our own fourth wall there. We just wandered off, totally off track. Um, the After that, we now have uh, Jen turning into a She-Hulk and mm-hmm. Bruce playing the mentor, basically. Yeah, because uh, he, he's been through it. He's, he's been through a lot. He's been through a lot. The only trouble with, with that is he's taking it from a male perspective and clearly – it's not the same for Jen. Mm, yes, her experience is different, and that's pretty clear from the beginning. And I also think that there's a nice opportunity that I can think the show is going to continue with talking a bit about how the struggles of uh, a woman and also, I guess, by extension, being a She-Hulk are different and the trouble she faces, you know, in her profession, in the modern world. And she, you know, brings those up in a really organic way that I thought I thought was really was really nice touch, and I hope there's some themes that they'll continue to explore. Yeah, listen, you know, it's not my business to go around peeing on incels and <laughs> old male misogynists and all that sort of stuff. Trying to trying to uh, g them up and put out fires that they start online, all that nonsense. Uh, you know, I mean, this is from the 1980s that, that Jen has been She Hulk. And always mm. they pretty much lent into the fact that she's undergoing some pretty amazing adventures mm. and that she is a female superhero. And what do you want? Mm. <laughs> you know, get well, with the program. It's not new. This is not new. It's not woke and actually there's nothing wrong with that, as Neil Gaiman says, being woke or being politically correct is just being nice to people, mm-hmm. you know. It's yeah. I mean, let's not. I don't want to detract us too much down the path, but it is interesting. Like some of the great content we've covered, like Prey, and then I think you know I'm keen to see where this series goes online. I think I saw a great tweet where someone's like, "There'll always be some men who just don't like seeing it, seeing a woman <laughs> do anything." And there's and there's been a bit of backlash, and it's just silliness in my mind. Um, but worth acknowledging because I think it is out there. And um, yeah, yeah, you're right. We'll let them leave them watching um, whatever their show would be. It'd be some, probably called Misogynist or something like that. You know, something ridiculous like that. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. But no, I think I think this is a good opportunity, especially because of her. You know, her Hulk body is different to her uh, non-Hulk body, and it seems like they want to explore a little bit about her different experiences moving through the world in her Hulk form and things like that. So, mm. but her actual, you know, I mean, they make some very good points in this. Bruce's secret is he's angry all the time. Mm-hmm. So he can turn into the Hulk pretty much on, on a dime. Uh, Jen, however, she's got that all under control, so she can also turn into a She-Hulk whenever she wants to. Yeah, because she's, as a woman in the modern world, has to control her anger at, at every instance. And so, she, yeah, I think um, I like that the origin of her and how she goes through things is different and accelerated because we want to get to the plot. We want to get to the part where she can return to her life hmm. and uh, start to do lawyer things and lawyer it up. So, and we can't do that if she's struggling in a hut somewhere, unable to control her powers. So speaking, I was grateful for that. <laughs> speaking of the hut, it's in Mexico and it's um, Bruce and Tony Stark's gamma lab that Tony mm. Bruce set up before his untimely death. And there's so much heart in that. There's a, 
a, a, yeah. a wooden bar that they built, you know, like a really Copacabana sort of coconut bar. Yeah. With, you know, bamboo and the whole thing. And on the bar it's got um, uh, BB, Bruce Banner, and TS, Tony Stark, carving it. Very sweet, isn't it? Yeah. But it's also extremely meta because it mm. ties into the whole – uh, Science Bros thing, which was yes. a, a whole thing with Stark and Banner online, and it went from just a platonic uh, friendship to way beyond that. Oh, well, <laughs> online things always go down that path. Yeah, uh, much to the amusement of both uh, Mark Ruffalo and... I bet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's there on the bar, and I thought, oh, the, the detail in this is perfect. So mm. you're looking for your Easter eggs, they're all there, so many more. Anyway, the... Idea of being of having a, a good training montage, basically. Yes. In the yes. Mexican area, you know, in a really lovely place that you'd actually not want to go and, and stay at on holiday. Yeah, looks beautiful. <laughs> and you know, they're fighting and they're throwing boulders around and and they're doing balancing to you know, mm. and meditation and the whole thing. And I thought the CGI actually, I I liked it. There was a couple of frames that, to me, screamed green screen. But look, I think um, the movement—it's <laughs> got to be the, green screen. <laughs> well, it just—it didn't quite look right. Um, but the movement of some of the the characters when they're in their Hulk form and things like that, I thought was pretty good. Um, I just like seeing Mark Ruffalo. You know, like it's just not really the same when he's Smart Hulk. I just feel like I miss seeing him. I love the motion capture that they did on his face. Um, Jen breaks his glasses, which he doesn't actually have to wear, but he wears it because it makes him look smarter when he's yeah, smart. To distinguish and to literally make him more distinguished. Uh, and and the look upon his face as he pulled the bits of plastic off and the glass and that it was yeah. a brilliant bit of motion capture. He is in there, but I, I don't know. I I just um, it's not the same to me. But anyway, and that bit when Jen. Um, Shows off how how way more graceful she is as She Hulk, mm, uh, yeah. And I actually love that. I love that the CGI went very smooth there to reflect a, a more graceful elegance that she mm, had. Yes, and yes. I don't know if she's got a if 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 Jen has like a background in something else that that might let lend into that. But it was really nicely done. And then the little sort of jumps and uh mm. and show off flips and that that she did she's just just enjoying the hell out of that you know yeah she's a very sassy character i think i saw that um Maslani actually kind of modeled it on elaine from seinfeld oh yeah <laughs> and you can kind of see that a little bit i think in sort of her indignation and her kind of sassiness and sometimes she says things that are a bit mean um but oh, she's yeah. a go get them kind of sort as well so i do think she's very magnetic to watch and i did enjoy um the scenes you know a bit of that stuff between the two hulks but yeah. i i honestly i want to see the lawyer stuff <laughs> so i'm i um the first episode to me i was like okay bring where's it. the rest <laughs> Well, I did like the way that it it, it furthered the uh, the cause of the MCU quite casually too. Like they, mm. re they repaired Hulk's um, damaged arm, yes, from the mm -hmm. snap, and also we saw a Sakarian spaceship, which is which could have something to do with World War Hulk setting up that as a, a yes, definitely some seeds being planted there. And what I will say too is, please stay for the well, not stay because we're not in the cinema. Keep watching through the credits because there's a post credit 
scene yes. in the first episode. So just keep your eyes peeled for that one because it's mm. funny. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that the, everything in the Gamma Lab was built bigger, like taller. Yeah. I, I will say sometimes the scale to me because sometimes I'm like, isn't Hulk bigger than that or isn't Hulk smaller than that? But um, all the lab stuff, his size just seems to change depending on the situation. Smart Hulk is um, – is smaller, right? Smaller, yeah. Nerd Yeah, holes. okay. Maybe I'm just being fussy then. But yeah. um, We haven't had a but, chance to see too many of the other – look, Mark Ruffalo is Mark Ruffalo. He does he, he does what he does and it's yes. perfect. No perfect. Just what we need. Just what we need. We see some snippets um, of some pretty important characters in there. Most notably we should mention Jamila Jamil uh, who plays a character called Titania. Titania. Titania, um, and we see her make her uh, entrance <laughs> towards the end of the episode, and she's definitely got um, the antagonist role here. <laughs> so I'm kind of keen to see um, more of her because I really do. We, of course, know her from The Good Place, uh, and so I think she can definitely do the comedy thing. So it will be cool to see her do some action stuff. Yeah, from Tahini to Titania. <laughs> yeah. We don't see two. We see other people there, but they're kind of background at the moment in the first episode. But later on, as we go on, obviously, uh, Ginger Gonzaga, who plays mm-hmm. Nikki, uh, Jen's best friend in in uh, in the legal areas. Mm-hmm. So she's there to probably be more important once Mark Ruffalo steps back. Yes, we need She-Hulk to have kind of someone who's cheering her on and supporting her and things like that. Mm. Yes. Her wing person, I suppose. Yeah. The case may be. Uh, and there we are as, as we go along. But we're all hanging out to see Tim Roth playing the Abomination and Benedict yep. Wong as uh, playing Wong, the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, we yep. did see them together at the uh, in um, uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Doing a uh, <laughs> a really silly, strange but kind of sweet. Um, Double team in uh, in an arena or something, uh, somewhere in a fight club mm, kind of thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And we know that in the trailer here, we're seeing um, the the abomination being held in that same facility that they yeah. went back to from that. So they're they're obviously riffing off this. And of course, there's Charlie Cox showing up as Yay! Daredevil in his uh, old new costume. Mm. So, I am so keen to see him in a comedy because mm. Daredevil has obviously his that show was different <laughs> different tone. Yes, it was like uh, serious New York, Hell's Kitchen New York, very dark, brooding. Uh, I'm going to be very interested to see Daredevil in this setting. So I am keen as I'm really keen to see them because we saw him in. Um, uh, another Spider-Man. Re- Spider-Man, that's right, where he says, I'm a really good lawyer. Yeah. And so I want to is- see them interacting on that level. Do you think that we'll get them on opposite sides? No, I think they're going to want – I think they know the audience. We want to see them on the same team. I think that's hopefully going to be – because I, I don't want to see some kind of conflict or ha- them have to overcome X, Y, Z. Let's just put them on the same side and get some stuff happening. Um, and some bonding and all of that jazz because he he needs a bit of a sassy you know sidekick and she needs a sassy a, a serious sidekick I suppose so that's what I hope to see anyway but yeah I've only watched episode one so 
who knows what's in store. I've got theories, but, yeah, need to catch up. Look, I watched this in the spirit that I used to read the comic books mm-hmm. and because they, they sort of come and go. You'll get, you know, bursts of She-Hulk comic books and then you'll have to uh, find the character in like Avengers or Fantastic Four as they yes, go along. Yeah. But it's amazing that to me that they've managed to capture the, the whole <laughs> fourth wall breaking aspect of it. So it's a little bit surreal as they go along and the comic timing there is beautiful. Yeah, I'm int- like a fourth wall break show is a tricky tone to maintain. I mean, for me, I feel like Fleabag is the pinnacle and everything will pale in comparison to that show. So I'm I'm interested. I think they're very much going for like a Ferris Bueller fourth wall break. So I wonder how that'll go because it's a, it's, it's a snippet. I wonder how much is going to be in the show, to be honest. So we'll see. Yeah, She-Hulk smash fourth wall. I, I think that it's it's fun. It's so much fun watching this. And I'm so pleased to be able to see this now. And, yeah. and, he, and here was me after Endgame thinking, that's it. Tony's gone. Yeah. I'm not going to have much content that's going to lift my heart through this whole, the rest of the MCU. And, you know, I've enjoyed the hell out of Moon Knight and Loki and Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye. And now She-Hulk. Yeah. And some of the movies too, not all of them, but, but yeah. you know, I've been there for them. So now they just need to make you Squirrel Girl, Rob, and then. <laughs> yeah, and then we can have the, uh, they'll do it like a Champions movie with Squirrel Girl, Ms. Marvel, and uh, also um, uh, Kate Bishop. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and maybe Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I am keen to see what this show has in it. I'm keen for a fun comedy so, yeah, I'm looking forward to catching up and then continuing on with the rest of the episodes of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Not only do I want the action figure, I want the business cards <laughs> and all sorts of other things to spin off from it. It's on Disney Plus and mm. streaming at the moment. Now, uh, Maslani says that she was also inspired by the work of Sophie Zion. Mm-hmm. Experimental pop musician, everyone knows her just as Sophie. Mm-hmm. And she unfortunately tragically died as a result of a fall in Athens in 2021. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, she was a, a great artist. And so I thought since Maslani in an interview referenced a music video with a track called Face Shopping in it, which is all about... Um, you know, the body and skin and uh, commodification of human beings. I thought mm-hmm. that that really fit, as obviously Tatiana Maslany said. So we'll go with that now. Face Shopping by Sophie. Hi there, I'm Jen Saska. And I'm Sylvia Saska. And, and we're the Twisted Twins. And you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Did you love it? Is it good for you too? Heck yeah. Wow. That was Sophie's face shopping, and I'm so glad that I dug a little bit deeper into Tatiana Maslany's motivations and inspirations for her performance as Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk in She-Hulk Attorney at Law, and she referenced that track, and uh, I can see where she's get coming from. You've got the, the, the two disparate strands coming together in that, mm. in that song. Um, just Great like, track choice, Rob. Yeah. I was really, yeah, that was really cool. Hmm. 
Thank you, She-Hulk. <laughs> I feel like I should stay on a good side because I don't, I don't know if I'd like her when she's angry. No. <laughs> All right. So we have talked that to its conclusion for now, and we will <laughs> just flash over to Infinity and Beyond again on yes. Disney Plus. I've been meaning to catch up with this one. It is Lightyear, mm-hmm. the Buzz Lightyear movie, and this is a spin-off from the Toy Story franchise. It is functioning effectively as the fourth movie Mm. or is it the fifth no this is the fifth movie in that franchise yes technically speaking but it's kind of weird as they say up front in the opening credits um, this is the movie the animated movie that the little boy in toy story was watching in the 1990s and then he got the toy from it the buzz lightyear toy yeah, so that's it's. I'm glad you mentioned that, Rob, because my confession here is I've never seen Toy Story nor any of the sequels. I know, so now how the tables have turned. Yes. So I went into this. Obviously, I know enough just from living in the world, but um, yeah, someone said, "Oh no," but yeah, it's the movie from the start, and I'm like, "Yep, didn't not didn't realize." Just went into this space film, Chris Evans. That's all I knew. I mean, I knew it was related to Toy Story, but um, no actual knowledge of Toy Story is required for this. I don't think so at all. I think you're right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I've watched, uh, I think, at least three of the Toy Story movies. I don't think I've watched the most recent one. And and I had no trouble at all separating it from the Toy Story movies. There may be some Easter eggs in it that I didn't catch, but. Yeah, and I think in a way it's smart for them to do this as like a kind of an add-on, like a Rogue One, the Rogue One of the Toy Story <laughs> um, series. Yeah, that it's it's additional, but it is a standalone, so they can play with it and add new characters, and and it has its own thing going on, from what I can tell. It's directed and partly written by Angus McLean, who's mm-hmm. a, a US American animator, artist, uh, character designer, screenwriter, director, and voice actor at Pixar and mm-hmm. he's worked on pretty much all of Pixar's animated films in one capacity or another. In reference to this one in particular, he had some work on Lightyear. Uh, sorry, mm. it's a complicated t- lot of titles these, but um, he did like a, a, a Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, The Adventure Begins back in 2000, which was direct-to-video film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did some work on that and... They used uh, used that as the pilot for the Buzz Lightyear Star Command television series. He mm-hmm. worked on uh, Finding Dory in 2016. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's gone through the whole mill of, at Pixar and, and come out now as a, as a director and a co-writer for yeah. this major This is his major first feature. feature. Yeah, so, mm. yeah. So also we've got, look, we've got Chris Evans starring this time taking over from... Tim the Toolman Taylor. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, I, I welcome the change. Chris Evans has a great voice and I think he does a nice job as the earnest yet also kind of like sticklery uh, Lightyear. I'm a little bit wigged out. Like, you know, like Tim Allen was like the voice of Buzz Lightyear and then, and then he's like, you know, in Galaxy Quest. So yeah. now I've got this other guy who's also a superhero type and great See, for me. And- I've got no frame of reference. So to oh. me, he is the voice of Lightyear. So, yeah, Chris, I mean, I think them pulling in Chris Evans for this as the voice is pretty smart. He's pretty big right now. Human Torch, Captain America, Snowpiercer Rebel, 
Scott Pilgrim versus the World. He's in that too. Oh, yes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2007, where he plays the voice of Casey Jones. The Losers. His, his best role. Yes, his best role. The Losers, where, which has got nothing absolutely to do with the DC comic book series but the title. You know, he is actually the guy to play, Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, and I mean, I think he's been enjoying playing villains, um, and so maybe this was a nice return to this is much more of a Captain America character. So I like that he's still doing his wholesome thing as well as his, like, psychopath thing, as we saw most recently in The Grey Man. Okay, so Captain Buzz Lightyear is on a long-haul space mission aboard a spaceship which is aptly nicknamed the Turnip because of its shape. Mm-hmm. Now, they've got a, a very large crew in, like, you know, hypersleep type thing. So yep. they're all in, like, stasis pods and that. Uh, and they divert to check out a planet. So there's only a couple of them <laughs> awake and unfrozen at the time. Don't they know that no. never ends well? No. Uh, you know, and when the killer android tries to, no, that doesn't happen. Uh, there's no face huggers, nothing at all like that. <laughs> so that all goes turnip shaped. Yep. And they end up marooned on the planet. Well, they wake the science crew up and they begin creating a, not a rudimentary civilization. These are smart people. They have lots of resources. But what they do not have is the ability now, since it's been broken in the crash landing, to mm-hmm. create a hyperspace crystal that will yep. enable them to get back to Earth, presumably at light speeds. Otherwise, it's going to take them forever. So that's what they focus upon. This is Captain Buzz Lightyear's mission to mm. help develop and test prove a new hyperdrive for the ship to get them back home. And that's yep. basically the tale of this story. Now, Buzz has got some. Uh, guilt going on with him because he was in charge of the ship when it when it bingled. So mm. there are difficulties there. Yeah. Uh, he, but he is not alone in his quest. He's been no. given a <laughs> an emotional support cyborg, uh, or actually I should say it's a robot. I don't think it's a cyborg. Cat called Socks. I saw the cat and I thought that you would be quite pleased at its inclusion. I personally thought the cat Socks was the best character. <laughs> yes. And it's a very good merchandising uh, ploy. They, all, they also have a great motto in this one too, uh, as opposed to infinity and beyond. It's kill the robots and don't die. but not that robot (laughs) so uh socks uh, is full of useful widgets and you know it's got like a usb stick in its tail and Mm -hmm. little eye torches much cuter than r2d2 very cute and i honestly i was like this is such a ploy it's so cheap for them to include this cute character but i loved the cute character so (laughs) yeah we're a sucker for these things it's peter son playing the voice of socks and um yeah he's he's quite good i've seen him quite a few things but also heard his more voice more uh, in ratatouille and monsters university and so on taika watiti shows up once again yep in voice at least he's playing a a recruit in the uh, Star Command, and mm-hmm. we've got uh, Dale Souls playing Darby Steele, who's uh, an elderly convict, mm. which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm. And as you know, if you've watched the um, the Toy Story movies, uh, and if you haven't, then you'll see them here. You've got the evil Emperor Zerg, who's kind of like a cyborg mm. 
robot type thing. Uh, sure. James Brolin is playing the voice of Zerg. I've seen James Brolin way back in the original Westworld movie in 1973. And of course, we know him as Josh Brolin's father. Yes. So, you know, it's all there, all of the components as we go through this long-term mission. There's some interesting, very interesting, I thought, exploration about uh, time dilation. Did we mention Kiki Palmer is also in it? Uh, yes, I was getting to her because she is actually Sorry. the female lead of the story. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's an American actress, singer and television personality as well. Uh, but she's in jo- Jordan Peele's new movie, uh, Nope. Yes, I'm very keen to see that one, actually. Mm-hmm. And she does a great job, too, providing an interesting counterfoil to Buzz Lightyear's sort of right stuffiness at times. Yes, stuffiness. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. This is this is the a film that has all of the bells and whistles. It gives you all the, the beats that you would expect. Maybe a bit too much towards expectation, I'd say. A hundred percent agree. I felt that it did everything I expected and went to the places that were no surprise and is pretty like solid. It's solid and enjoyable, but doesn't really flex anything beyond that. What I will say is the animation is incredible. And I was looking at it realizing, and obviously, you know, you can't compare it to things like Toy Story, but looking at the animation of his hair and other things and just the expressions of the characters, I was like, animations come really far and this is some really nice work. I was thinking that about Lightyear himself Mm. in particular. I think they've done quite a good job of elevating him from the cartoonish iteration that he was in uh, the original Toy Stories, which, of course, were many years ago and still an accomplishment. So I am not ragging on Toy Story, just saying that Lightyear looks great in this. You better not. (laughs) I know. I've really done myself in. But, yes, I thought that it looked great. Fantastic animation. Yeah. People who rag on Toy Story get left behind. See, I don't get that. Is that a thing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if I, when I tell you about it, you'll go, oh, uh, left behind is what happens to toys when people move. Oh, that is sad. It is so sad. It just wrecks your heart. And there are actually some moments in this to do with the time dilation that I, I did I did tear up a little at that. I, I, oh. I expected them, but they were still emotional. Mm. How's that? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I th- there's a genuinely scary plunge through space in this that I found uh, quite uh, vertiginous. So I got, mm-hmm. I got a bit dizzy and buzzy out of that. And... You know, I thought there's a lot in this film that I enjoyed, but it's nothing that we haven't seen before. Yes. So, you know, the hyperspeed sequences remind me both of Star Trek and 2001, which is obviously what they're shooting for. Yeah. And the killer robots in this. There's very much a feeling of uh, classic science fiction from the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, that sort of. Yes. I'm thinking particularly of Superman and the mechanical versus a mechanical man or something like that, a classic mm-hmm. cartoon. They've got that sort of industrial look. Yeah, yes, very distinct kind of style for them. Mm. Um, I do agree. And I think as well um, there's a post credit scene, which I didn't realise and have not seen, but I'll just call that out as well if you want to hang around for that. It's just yeah. a little joke, but it's, fu- it's fun, you know. Okay, okay, no worries. I do think I feel it sets it up for more if people are keen for more, so I think they're going to see how this one uh 
how popular it is mm. and whether there's any more entries. Yeah. It's called Lightyear and it's on Disney Plus. And as we said, it, it's the fifth movie, I think, in the Toy Story franchise. Yeah. Kind of sitting a bit different, like the way Prey is the fifth predator, you know, it's like in there, but it's doing something new. All right. Now, that's about it for Zero G for today. Uh, I found it, it's got a fine soundtrack too by uh, Michael Giacchino, but I thought I might just bypass that for the moment. He's been busy. He's been very busy. And I suspect actually he might have some clones running around too. Probably. But I thought, I need a Bowie track for this. And I was Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, yeah. And then I found one called Buzz the Fuzz. Perfect. (laughs) And in a way, you know, um, he's a space ranger Buzz Lightyear, so he's actually the law. Mm. And this is by David Bowie. This is from the BBC Live Sessions, and this comes from The Width of a Circle. And when you hear it, you'll you'll get that classic, I mean, vintage Bowie voice from the 60s, sort of early 70s, that kind of, you know, mannish lad type thing. And I'd like to thank Ellis Savage, our podcaster. Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you all to you listeners and supporters of both Zero G and Free Triple R FM. And remember, the, the Radiothon, the live air, on air part, may be sort of fading into the background now as they pull down the lever on the console, but you still have time to subscribe. And <laughs> we much appreciate it. It is never taken for granted. Yeah, very much appreciated all the support. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.